You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Join Help People Remember to Order the Book. Let's work together to keep this going. And now we have our final Christmas text of the year. I believe this is the 10th day of Christmas. Ian, is that what we said? The 10th day? Yeah. It's the 10th day of Christmas. We got Lords a-leaping, and we also have Herod freaking out. So let's read this text right now. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read a big chunk of text here. So listen to every word and memorize it. I'm just kidding. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, like most deeply insecure people, he was troubled. And like most deeply insecure people, everyone around him was also troubled. I will refrain from preaching and just move on. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. In the business we say, liar, liar, pants on fire. He's lying to people. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, be, they departed to their own country from another way. At this point, you can read this text and you can have your hot cocoa by your Christmas tree with some Christmas jazz playing in the background and everything is fine. But this next part I'm going to read is also part of the Christmas story. And you cannot have Christmas your way, Salem. Here is also part of the Christmas story that the Holy Spirit wants us to know. So put your hot chocolate down because you might spill it. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weep and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It is not beginning to feel a lot or look a lot like Christmas. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And sometimes fear is good. Sometimes fear is prophetic. Sometimes fear leads us in the right direction. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. 
tired of people saying that fear is always wrong. Fear brought Joseph to Nazareth so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. Sometimes fear isn't the toxic kind of fear. Sometimes fear is the discerning kind of fear, and it gets us to where we need to go. And if that's too complicated, saints, I love you so much, but we got to be deep thinkers because the world is complicated. We're in the middle of a series right now that is going to be going on all year long. And it's called Strengthen Our Hands. And the word that God gave us for the year is that the church needs to strengthen her hands for the work of rebuilding. We need to strengthen our hands for the work of serving. We need to strengthen our hands for the work of loving our neighbor as ourself. If you look at our graphic right now, maybe the guys can switch over to it. So if you're looking at home, you can see it clearly. You will see two things on this graphic, and they're very intentional. You will see the praying hands on the one hand, and you'll also see nails on the other. Because strong hands in the world are hands that are clean and soft and nice. Hands that prove that they haven't been through anything. But in the kingdom of God, strong hands are nail-scarred hands. Strong hands are hands that have been pierced. Strong hands are hands that have been ripped up trying to love somebody the way that we love ourselves. Strong hands are hands that bear the scars of having a comment to say and not saying it. Strong hands are hands that bear the scars of wanting to see vengeance happen in somebody else's life but praying for them instead. Hands are hands that know that somebody is undeserving of a blessing, but the Holy Spirit tells us to bless them anyway because God wants us to let people know that they're more lovely than their behavior. I will wait to see if I can hear any amens coming from the live stream. I heard a few. Thank you. Nail-scarred hands are hands that look like Jesus' hands. When we get to heaven... I pray that my hands look like his, scarred. When we think about our resurrected bodies, when we think about our perfect bodies, our images of what a perfect body looks like are probably more rooted in American consumerism than they are in the gospel. Because Jesus' perfect body had scars all over it. Because perfection will never let you have amnesia over what it costs to love you. Perfection will never let you have amnesia over what love costs. Somebody said love don't cost a thing. They were wrong. I think, I'm pretty sure that, was it Thang? I think they were wrong. Let's talk about this gospel text for a moment. Last week... We talked about how God is going to strengthen our hands in surprise. And we talked about Christmas morning. And we talked about how even though we know that there's going to be presents. And we know that it's going to be on the 25th. And we know that there's going to be a tree that's lit. And we know we're going to, oh, we still get surprised by stuff. We talked about how God surprises us in the mundane. I was on the phone with Stephanie, our worship leader, yesterday, and we were having a conversation about what the Spirit is saying for our upcoming year. And John makes Stephanie crack up laughing. And I say, what, is, what, what joke did he make? And she said he joked around about his toothbrush. His toothbrush, Salem. His toothbrush. How many of you are so content in life that you could focus on something as small as a toothbrush and make somebody in your family laugh? That's what I mean by God strengthening our hands in surprise. When we, when we let God show up in the boring, mundane realities like brushing our teeth and we find ways to make them funny, we are strengthened for the work of the ministry. I said to Stephanie, you're pretty blessed because poor people can laugh about a toothbrush. And I said, Steph, this is why God has not given you a Mercedes Benz. Because if you laughed about that, only some people can laugh about that. But everybody can laugh about a toothbrush. She said, Pastor, I got to go. I don't receive that word from you. Today, we're not, or it's not going to be as nice as that. That's why I did all the jokes and talked about John, who's one of the most lighthearted people I know, because now you're going to hate me. And so, welcome to the first Sunday of the new year. Today, we're going to talk about how God surprises us. Listen to me carefully. He surprises us 
by giving us purpose that is outside of ourself, but that uses our whole self. He gives us purpose that is outside of ourself. Everybody says, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? Your purpose, when you find it, when you know it, when it becomes real to you, will end up using all of you, but it won't have anything to do with you. It'll have everything to do with other people. Because Jesus' whole life was a life for others, and it used his whole self to be that for others. He lost his entire self into ourselves so that ourselves could be lost into his self. Okay, so let's talk about this gospel text. We got the warm Christmas fuzzies all up in this gospel text. Pagan wise men from Babylon find their way to Jesus without using the scriptures. Salem, if you're at home, look at the person next to you and say, Pastor Bill's going to make us mad right now. If you're here, Rob, Rob, look at me and say, Pastor's going to make me mad. You're right. He is going to make you mad right now. Wise men (laughs) were not Jewish. They were Babylonian. They were pagans. They watched their horoscopes every single day like astrologers, not astronomers, astrologers, and they followed the stars and it led them to Jesus. If Mary and Joseph were fundamentalist Christians, the minute wise men showed up, they would have said, how did you get here? We followed the stars. And they would have said, get out. Because you didn't follow the scriptures to get here. Now, Herod followed the scriptures. Herod said, uh, let me get the scribes and the Pharisees. Everybody come around me. What are these wise men talking about? And the Pharisees said to Herod, this is in the Bible. There's a king that's coming from Bethlehem, and he's going to shepherd my people Israel. And Herod, who used the scriptures, wanted to murder Jesus. The ones who didn't use the scriptures wanted to open up their treasures and worship him. So maybe the very first lesson that is not on my notes, but that is just fun to say, is that maybe we need to be more good news oriented and less law and order oriented. Maybe we need to be more about grace and truth than law and order in our culture. Maybe we need to stop judging how people got to Jesus and just recognize when they do and tell them that they found him. And maybe the Holy Spirit wants us to know that just because we have the Bible doesn't mean we use it the right way. Peter represents the church. The sword represents the Bible. And Peter used a sword to cut somebody's ear off. There's a way in which we can use the Bible more like Herod and less like Paul. Grace and truth. Know something. That people you're praying for, they might find Jesus a different way than you found him. All your job is is to let them know when they find him. Not to judge how they got there. Because finding him is what matters. That was free. The rest of this is going to be expensive. So they come and they worship Jesus. And we celebrate this scene. It's the scene where there's a star above a manger. And there's shepherds and there's wise men. And they're giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Somebody from the church, I'm not going to say who they are, Elder Ron Green. I'm not going to say who they are. Bought me a little box for Christmas that has gold, frankincense, and myrrh in it. It is a wonderful depiction of what the church is supposed to be offering the world. We'll get to that in a second. This scene is so beautiful. This scene is something that Thomas Kincaid would paint. This scene is a Norman Rockwell painting. This scene is everything that we wish Christmas was. And then we have these unanswerable, horrific moments where because the wise men obeyed, Herod knew where to find these other kids that he murders. Should I have John come and play Jingle Bells now? Because the wise men obeyed, Herod knows where Bethlehem is. The angel comes and says to the wise men, don't go back that way, he'll kill you. Go home a different way. And they do, and they're saved. The angel comes to Joseph and says, take this child, take his holy mother, and bring them to Egypt. Otherwise, Herod's going to kill you, your wife, and the child. 
And Joseph does, and he's saved. So can God send warnings that can save people? Yes. Well, why didn't he send it to the rest of the families? Herod goes and murders probably 13 to 16 two-year-old boys or younger. Shortly after Christmas. And in case we forgot about that part of the Christmas story, because as we're going to talk about starting right now, it seems that for many of us, 2020 has, called us, has caused a selective amnesia about the truth of the world. We don't have to look farther than Sandy Hook Elementary School, where roughly the same number of kids were killed right around Christmas time. And some of you are upset that I'm talking about this right now. And I'm asking you to trust me. And I'm asking you to journey with me through something very difficult. Because the Holy Spirit, God in spirit, doesn't let us read the Christmas story without interrupting it with tragedy and real life. I, if one person tells me something, I won't talk about it on a Sunday. If two or three people do, I probably will. If 10 or 12 people over the course of one season tell me something, you better believe I'm going to talk about it. And I have witnessed people from this church, and I have witnessed people who are, I know are Christians and are friends of mine, go into this mode after 2020 that says something like, and I'm summarizing a lot of different things here, I'm only going to focus on the good, I'm not going to focus on the bad. Well, why is there tragedy? Well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to trust God with that. And I'm going to focus on the good. Well, what about racism? It's so bad. It's impossible to deal with. I'm just going to intercede, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the grace to actually help out with it. I'm just going to pray about it. And what we do and what I've heard are people accepting the good that God has to offer. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. But then when you say, well, there are other things that other people needed that his hand hath not provided. And I don't think that line made it into the hymn. What do you think about that? And they recoil and say, I'm not going to, I'm choosing to not think about that. I'm choosing to just focus on the good. If that's you, you're choosing to not be like Jesus. You're choosing to deny the reality that he died for. You're choosing to strip yourself of and divorce yourself from the vocation and calling God has put on your life. If you're saying that you choose to only focus on the good, what you're saying is, I want to be a light in a light place. I don't want to be a light in a dark place. We have entered a willing amnesia where when the most blessed, if you have the capacity in your life to say, I'm only going to focus on the good that has happened to me. I'm not going to focus on the bad that's happening to other people. I'm just going to trust God with it. If you have the kind of life where you can even make that statement, please understand you are the one to whom the spirit says, to whom much is given, much is required. In the social realm, we call it privilege. In the gospel realm, we call it to whom much is given, much is required. If you have the space in your life to say, I'm just going to focus on the good things that happened to me this year, and I'm just going to trust God with the bad things that are happening everywhere else, you're denying the Christmas story. You're denying the reality of Jesus. You're choosing to forget the nail-scarred hands. The head that sweat blood in the garden. The thorns and thistles that were once atoms that were then pressed into the mind and heart and brain of Jesus. And it's on both sides. You got 
a conservative faction of the people losing their mind that we have to wear a mask when we go out because our rights shouldn't be taken. Losing their mind and then covering it in some kind of Christianese talk about let's not walk in fear. I'm going to handle that one in a second. Losing our minds because our rights are being violated, but then we want to ignore everything that's being said about social justice issues. We want to freak out about the fact that we got to put a piece of cloth on our face to save lives, and then we want to have nothing to do with the race conversation when it shows up. Talk to me about masks, but don't bring up Black Lives Matter because I'm going to tune you out, Pastor. But then on the other side... We have people who are so obsessed with rights of a different sort that we've made it more easy to have an abortion than to get proper mental health, healing, medicine, and counsel. Even without you here, I can feel the tension. We can't have amnesia. We can't be the kinds of people who choose one of these or the other. The Christmas story does have the warm and fuzzies. God does want you to feel your, the, the warmth of your family. He does want you to feel the awe of a child. He does want sugar plums to be dancing in your head all the time. But he doesn't want it to be at the expense of the ache and the pain of the world that might not have it as good as you do. He doesn't want it to be transactional. He doesn't want one to out-transact the other. Like Jesus, he wants us to be a mature enough space that can hold the weight of both. Somebody asked me a very interesting question this week. They said, if you could come up with one word that you think is the worst word in Christianity, like the, when, when you think of the worst of Christianity, can you put it into one word? And very quickly, because I've thought about this, the word is the word only. Only. Whenever we reduce our moment to an only, we are walking away from Christianity. Was Jesus only joyful or was Jesus only sorrowful? Well, it says he was anointed with joy above that of his companions. But Isaiah also says that he was stricken with grief, a man of many sorrows. There's no only. Am I blessed? Yes. Am I supposed to talk about my blessings? Yes. Does the Bible say that my tongue should be like the pen of a ready scribe, able to immediately in the midst of the congregation let you know that we bought a new house this year? Yes. That our church made it through a pandemic this year? We can say it now. We made it through the pandemic this year. Yes. I can count my blessings. Is my daughter safe? Yes. Is my wife safe? Yes. Was I around somebody who had COVID? Yes. Did I get it? No. Am I grateful? Absolutely. But there's not an only there. There's a comma. And then there's somebody lost a house this year. Somebody lost a job this year. Somebody lost a child this year. And this coming Saturday, I'm doing the memorial service for a Christian man who died because of COVID. So yes, the wise men are bowing down, offering their gifts by the Christmas tree. And yes, Herod is also killing babies and we need to live as the church. We need to be the people who can live in the tension of this and bring something to the world that is dying to know if your God is so good, why is this happening? I choose not to think about it. It's the worst thing that we could say. My Aunt Sharon, in the last roughly 27 years, has lost two sons in car accidents. She posted on New Year's Eve, I'm paraphrasing, I know what it's like to suffer unbelievable loss like so many of you do. I also know that this year got me closer to my daughter in Florida and closer to my grandchildren. I was quarantined with a daughter I needed to get closer to, and I'm grateful for it. She says in so many words, if you're underneath the weight of unspeakable tragedy, God can get you through it. 
And if you're in the thralls of unbelievable joy, go ahead and rejoice. But just remember, both are happening. That post is what the church should be. And that post is what the life of Christ is for all of us all of the time. We need our hands to be strengthened, strengthened for the work of serving, which sometimes is the work of being able to hold competing and opposite realities well enough for people. Not to explain them, to hold them, to let people question them, to be willing to say, I don't have an answer, but also be willing to say, I do think about it. I do consider it. And you know what? It bothers me also. Many of you are going to tune out what I'm saying right now, so I'm really only speaking to the handful of people who are mature enough to continue to listen to what I'm saying. But one of my favorite theologians, David Bentley Hart, he said this, for 15 minutes every day, I have a standing appointment with God to become an atheist again. And the reporter from Christianity Today said, what? He said, when it comes to the fact that children suffer, I spend 15 minutes every day becoming an atheist. So, well, how do you get back to Christianity? He said, God is so gracious, he lets me take my doubts with me. Oh, well, you can't doubt at all. Can't walk in fear. Can't say this. Can't say that. Yeah, you can. You definitely can. If Jesus can say, let this cup pass, we can say stuff too. Let's talk about walking in fear for a second. Second Timothy chapter 1. Verses 3 to 7. My brother Frank bought me a Bible a long time ago. And inside the front of this little Cambridge Bible, which is a wonderful Bible, he wrote these verses. And says this. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember, notice he says, as I remember, because he doesn't have amnesia. As I remember you constantly in my prayer, night and day. As I remember your tears, I don't just remember the good things. I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is yours through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Most Bibles have retranslated self-control into a sound mind because we don't like self-control. We can talk about Bible translation another time. I'm heaping up the things that you're probably... You can't throw stones at me from live stream, so... Why does the Bible say I, he has not given you a spirit of fear? Not because of pandemics, car accidents, tornadoes, or murder. Because he's saying to Timothy, you have a gift in you. And fear is going to cause you to not want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The fear that God has not given us is not phobia. It's the fear of taking up the mantle of our calling and walking it out. Which is to say, it's the fear of taking other people's sin and burdens and not judging them with it. But bringing it to Calvary where we know it's supposed to go. That's the fear that we have. That's the kind of fear that the Spirit drives out. We want to take people's burdens and show it to them. We want to take people's sin and show it to them. Preach more morality, Pastor. Preach more against sin. Preach harder against this. Law and order. Law and order. Law and order. No. Grace and truth is far more intimidating to preach than morality because grace and truth leaves the rest to the other person's choice. Jacqueline says to preach simpler messages. Jacqueline is not here right now. Fear that the spirit drives out is the fear we all have to really be like Jesus. It's the fear when Jesus says, if you're willing to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. The minute that that makes me afraid, giving up my wealth, giving up my opinion, giving up my way, giving up my Sunday afternoon, 
to be with somebody who's lonely, giving up the comment I want to make because the person deserves me to make it. But the Spirit says, just let them off the hook on that one. The fear we have there, that's the kind of fear that the Spirit drives out. A child should be afraid to run across the street without looking. Somebody said to me recently, do you think wearing a mask outside promotes the fear of COVID? Honestly, I think not wearing a mask promotes the fear of COVID. Seat belts could promote the fear of car accidents. Supporting the police could promote the fear of violence. Well, why do you need police? Because they protect us. Well, if God protects you, why do you need police? If God protects you, why do you care about your right to bear arms? Why are we cherry-picking what we're going to choose to be afraid of and what we're not? The whole point is we don't even need to have that discussion because that's not the kind of fear it's talking about. I don't want the church, I don't want this church, I don't want my church to get caught up in these trivial pursuits. Paul will later say to not get entangled in these civilian pursuits and have it choke out the word of God. What is the point? The point is this. We are going to be confronted with tragedy we can't answer. We're going to be confronted with darkness that is greater than our ability to speak against. We're going to be confronted with questions that will stump us at every turn. I don't know why the angel chose to save the wise men and not the children. I don't know why the angel chose to save Mary and Joseph and not those other kids. I don't know why those things happen, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that the church has a mission. And that mission is to walk into those unanswerable questions, to walk into that unspeakable darkness, and offer gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are those three things? Read the Bible like a mystic. Use your imagination. To make this simple... Herod does kill people. Horrible things do happen. And I don't have the perfect answer for why it happens the way it does. What I do know is that God has invited the church into the darkness, not to pick sides, not to have an affair with the U.S. Constitution. Oh, my God. day is it? What happened? Not to do those things. To tell the truth about what is happening. Enter the dark spaces of people's sin. Of evil in the earth. And tragedy. And do what? Bring gold frankincense, and myrrh. If you like to write down three words that start with the same letter, we are called to be there for the helpless, the hurt, and the Herods. The helpless, the hurt, and the Herods. Salem, our first thing that we need to do this year is we need to bring gold. We need to bring gold. What is gold? The first time gold is mentioned in your Bible, it's found in Genesis chapter 2. And it says this. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havala, where there is gold. Why is this significant? Because before the fall, gold was able to be seen on the surface of the ground. Gold was cheap. Why? Because it was easy to get. Why? Because it was on the surface. You didn't have to risk your life. There were no mining accidents. Ice road truckers wasn't a thing. Anybody watch Ice Road Truckers on the Weather Channel besides me? 
they're, they're, they're going to bring heavy equipment to mine for diamonds because women be shopping. Gold is expensive now because it's hard to get. Because it's been corroded over time by layers and layers and layers and layers of mud. Before sin, it was right there on the surface. But after we fell and broke the world, tidal waves, tsunamis, earthquakes, mudslides, tornadoes, hurricanes, fire, war, gold just gets pushed down farther and farther and farther. So what does it mean for us to bring gold? It means that we offer assurance of other people's value before God. We are called to mine through the mud and muck of somebody's sin, shame, and hurt to show them that there's gold in there. It is our job as the church to not choose these polarizing sides when we speak, when we minister, when we post, what we should be doing is constantly having that helmet on with the light on it and having our tools in our hands and mining through the brokenness, the shame, the abuse, the tragedy, the sorrow, the despair, mining through it to reveal to any person that God has chosen to put in front of our face that somewhere deep beneath the rubble of everything they're going through is value that God values. We bring people gold by showing them that gold exists deep in their life. Before you ever discipline, before you ever correct, before you ever confront the person better know that you know that they're valuable before God. We're called to bring frankincense. I'm probably now going to refer to my brother as frankincense for a while because he's sitting in front of me and it makes perfect sense and I have a little bit of ADD and I lose focus sometimes. So that's what I just thought about. What's frankincense? Besides my brother. Exodus 30. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacte and anica, galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. What is frankincense? Frankincense is the primary ingredient in the worship of the saints from the time of the tabernacle straight through the book of Revelation. Look it up. Frankincense is the core ingredient in the worship of the saints. Well, what is the worship of the saints? It's the way that we meet with God. Well, how do we meet with God? Prayer and praise. What did God say to us in December? Prayer and praise should mark us as a church this year. So what does it mean to offer the world frankincense? It means to offer an encounter with the Spirit through prayer. It means to call people again and say, I'm going to pray with you. It means to intercede with groanings that are too deep for words before God. It means... To take your fear and not be told you shouldn't have it. I've heard phrases like, if praise is on our lips, fear can't be. Not true. We're going to be afraid. God is not angry by our fear. We bring it to him through prayer. As Dr. Chris Green says, 
Praise frees us to bring our fear to God. Praise reminds us that the God we're serving is the God who knows there's gold beneath this rubble. And because I know he values me, I can bring him my fear. When we refuse to receive the fear of other people, when all we do is say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, what we're also saying is you're not valuable to me. God values us. And because he values us, we can bring him our fear. And what does God do with our fear? He holds it with us. He talks to us about it. Adam, why'd you hide? Does it sound familiar to anybody? Why'd you hide? Adam didn't hide for the reason Sophia hides when I come home because she's excited for me to find her. That's not the kind of hiding. Hi, Sophia. Adam hid because he said, I knew that I ate the fruit and then the day I eat of it, you said I was going to die. He hid because of fear. Where in the Genesis text does God tell Adam not to be afraid? Somebody find it. I was totally joking. You can't find it because it's not there. Doreen tried to look. It's not there. Because God took the fear and said, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. Why are you hiding? Because we heard your sound coming in the garden. Why didn't you want to see me? Because I'm naked. Who told you that you were naked? The woman you gave me. What did you do this for? The, the devil made me do it. What did you do this for? He has a conversation. We need to pray with people. So that, listen to me, so that they can be strong enough to face their fear. I grew up with probably emotional and also clinical separation anxiety. When I was a little kid, I went to therapists and I took medicine for the fear that I had when I would leave home. I've run home from school at a younger age. I have been terrified my whole life. And what saved me from it, what's, let me say it this way, what is delivering me from it? Not one of those people who says I've been delivered because the minute you say that, the Holy Spirit loves you so much that he will show you, you have not been delivered from anger, friend. The reason why I'm being delivered from the anxiety of separation, the fear of loss, is because I now know that God isn't mad at me for being afraid. He's a dad who wants to talk to his son about it. And that's been helping more than anything else. Don't confess it. What, because he doesn't know? There's a verse in the Bible where it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, where in God's word did we ever get the idea that if you don't confess something, it won't happen? He knows your thoughts. You're like a kid that thinks because you, they close their eyes, you can't see me. Carrie, can you see me? I'm standing here like an idiot with my eyes closed thinking they can't see me. That's what it, we say. Don't confess those things. He knows our thoughts. It doesn't matter if you confess it or not. He knows it. So just be honest with your thoughts. Don't ignore them. Say them to him. It's called prayer. Say them to other people. It's called gossip. But say it to him. It's called prayer. We offer gold. We offer frankincense. Praying with people. Teaching them to talk through their fears. Being a hospitable place for them to be afraid. Taking their anger towards God. What does it say about Rachel uh, in, in, the, in the text about... Rachel weeping for her children. Refusing to be comforted. That's okay. God's delivered me from the sorrow of losing a child. Please never go there. We're not supposed to be delivered from that. We're supposed to learn how to hold it faithfully. 
There are people who have been abused in a myriad of ways and they're told, just forgive and forget. No, that is emotionally damaging. There are people who have suffered unspeakable loss and they're being told, just God's going to deliver you from the sorrow. Here's what God's going to deliver you from. He's going to deliver you from a sorrow that drowns you so that you can have a sorrow that moves you. He's going to deliver you from a sorrow that drowns you so that you can float on your sorrow the way that you are supposed to. But he's not going to remove it because he'd have to remove love to remove it. This is what we need to be telling people. Well, that sounds really negative. Okay. Well, decide if you want to be a privileged American or a Christian. It is negative. We don't want this to be true. I want to be told that I can, I can confess my way out of anger. I want to be told that I can believe my way out of fear. I want to be told these things. But the reality is it is emotionally damaging to do that. I need people around me who can teach me how to be those ways. Here's what I want you to do. If anger is a sin and fear is a sin, I want you just to remove all of the Psalms that where David is expressing anger, fear, or sorrow. And then read the four Psalms you have left. It'll be easy to memorize them. You'll have a smaller Bible than Sophia's storybook Bible. We offer gold. We offer frankincense. And then we offer myrrh. What is myrrh? Let's read about it. John 19. This is Jesus has died on the cross. It is the end of the day on Good Friday. And it says this. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. What is myrrh? Myrrh is what is used for embalming a dead body. That's not on anybody's registry for the baby shower. I promise you. Can you get me some uh, formaldehyde for the, uh, for the shower? Nobody does this. What, are we, what is myrrh? Myrrh is the oil of hope that death will not have the last word. Er, myrrh is the oil of hope that comes from frankincense. It comes from prayer. It comes from a life of intercession. And it births words, listen to me, that are unique to the situation that you're ministering in. Not everyone will be the same. But whenever you're facing somebody's unspeakable tragedies, you offer the oil of hope that death and racism and dehumanizing and oppression will not have the last word. As I've said many times, Death can only have a comma after it, never a period. Life will always have an exclamation mark after it. Death is the middle of the sentence. It's not the end. And I close with this thought. If you are a faithful Christian or you're a pastor or you're a minister, you know that the question of why is evil there haunts you. It haunts you. I wish every day that God would give an answer to this question, but he doesn't. And like a good Protestant, I am starting my Bible all over again, like I do every year. And then the last three days, we just read Genesis one, Genesis two, and Genesis three. And if you heard me on January 1st, part of this, you've heard already, but I'm going to say it again. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want you to understand something. It says in Isaiah that God's word will never return to him formless or void. I'm going to say that again. 
It says that God's word will never return to him, formless or void. But yet, at the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. So God created the earth, and clearly something happened that made it formless and made it void and allowed darkness to be hovering over the face of the earth or covering the face of the earth. Something happened. We don't know what that thing was. All we know is from that verse for the rest of your Bible is all a story about how God handles the catastrophe that happened. He doesn't tell us why or how the evil got there. And if you're looking for some philosophical uh, reasoning or resolution to that, Robert Jensen said this, if God gave us the reason why evil existed, we would, get, we would give evil life by knowing how it operates. But because God doesn't want evil to even have an explanation, he doesn't tell us how it got there. He just tells us what he's doing about it. What does he do? Let there be light. Let there be a heavens. Let there be earth. Let there be a sun. Let there be stars and moon and fish and beasts that walk amongst the earth and fish that swim in the deeps and birds that fly in the heights. And let there be people to love and care and nurture this creation. What does he do? Whenever there's darkness, the whole Bible is an answer to the first verse of the Bible. The first verse of the Bible is God created something that had a catastrophe. And the whole rest of the story is what God does in catastrophe. He speaks. He hovers. He broods. He redeems. He loves. He enters it. He feels it. He goes through on Good Friday. Whatever that catastrophe was from Genesis before verse 1, Genesis verse 1 and an asterisk, whatever that catastrophe was, Jesus went through it on Good Friday. The sun went out. He was formless and void. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was formless and void. Darkness hovered over the face of the deep. But then the Spirit hovered over the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and the Spirit just starts to hover over the darkness of Good Friday, over the empty, over the silent tomb of Saturday, and then bursts life through the tomb on Sunday. This is what he does. What does he do in Genesis 3 when he encounters sin? Does sin separate Adam and Eve from God? You ready? Hold on to your pants. No! Because when they sinned, what is the first thing they heard? They heard the sound of dad walking towards them. Okay, so he was coming to beat them and punish them. He was coming to get down on his knee and say, what happened? How'd this happen? Take a blue step. How'd this happen? You guys okay? You know we're going to have to do something about this, right? You can't stay here anymore. Because you've now fallen. See that tree over there? If you eat the tree of life, you'll stay like this forever. So we're going to move you out. And I'm going to work with you, and I'm going to disciple you, and I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to shepherd you. And one day, you're going to have a child that will destroy the one who did this to you. It doesn't separate them. He banishes them from a garden, but he doesn't banish them from him. Which is why Jesus can say to a thief on the cross, you're with me in paradise right now. This is what we need to be doing with the world, church. Not overemphasizing God's punishments. Not overemphasizing all these rules and moralities and isms up one side and down the other. Oh, you know, it's just, it's nauseating. What we need to be doing. People have a funny way of behaving when they know they're loved. People have a funny way of opening up when they know they're cared for. People have a funny way of telling you the worst of what's going on when they know they're already accepted and they trust you enough to keep accepting them even after they say the worst. This is what we're called to. To bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
I hope this leaves you with more questions than answers. I hope this lends to a discussion of what it means to be the church for the rest of the year. I hope that we can all join together and be a large, very holy, very awesome think tank of what it means to live in a world where tragedy happens and how we can be a church that brings the healing balm of God's love to it, not perpetuates it with reductionistic arguments that have more to do with our political affiliations than our gospel one. You represent Jesus when you post. You represent Jesus when you speak about the world's events. Represent him well. Represent him well. Well, how do we know we can do that? There's something called the amnesis in the church. And it's the moment where you say, and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And you can hear the word amnesia in there. Amnesis. You can hear the word amnesia in there. We have an amnesia. We have forgotten that the life of Christ is a life that is a light in a dark place. Whenever we say, can't it just be more positive? Can't you just... Whenever we refuse to live in the darkness, we're refusing to live the Christian life. How do we remember to do this? Worship team, come on. Salem, get your bread and your juice ready. How do we remember? We remember the night where Jesus embodied the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. On the night when he was betrayed, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus showed us our value by saying, I'm going to die so that you don't have to. He took a bullet for us, if it's easier to understand it that way. He interceded for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He brought us the frankincense. And he brought us the myrrh, saying to a dying man, today, you'll be with me in paradise. You see that? He brought gold, assuring us of our value. He brought frankincense, assuring us of his love for us through prayer. And he brought myrrh, reminding us that death won't have the last word in our life. So on the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you come to this table, Judas, as often as you come to this table, Peter, as often as you come to this table, Pastor Bill, Thomas, John, Steph's pretty good. She's, she's fine. Rob, definitely Jeff. <laughs> as often, island of misfit toys, as often as you come to the table, remember me and remember your calling. And after supper, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of this vine, drink in remembrance of me. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup. Make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus. Let it remind us of the gold that Jesus offers, reminding us we're valuable. Let it remind us of the frankincense he offers, letting us know that he's always making intercession to the Father for us. And let it remind us of the myrrh that he pours over our life. Every Sunday we're reminded that though we die, we shall live. And sanctify us also. Make us for the world, the body of Christ, the church. And may we live toward the world 
constantly opening up our treasures. We've received gold, so we open up our treasure and we give it. We've received frankincense, so we open up our treasure and give it. We've received myrrh, so we open up our treasure and give it. Sanctify us so that we could do that after the manner of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Saints, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Would you partake with me this morning? Whether you're watching this right now, maybe you're watching it later, or maybe you're watching right now, you're going to hear what I'm about to say, and you're going to share it with other people later. I just want to pray for two groups of people. And understand, we can't come to the altar, but I know in this environment, the altar is going to you. So this is an altar call, except that the altar is going to you this time. If you heard this message today, we're going to pray for three kinds of people. If you heard this message today and you're just really angry because you disagree, you just disagree with it. I just want to pray that we'd be able to have a discussion because I want to live in a world where Christians can agree to disagree about things and not break fellowship over it. We shouldn't be divorcing each other over these things. We should be talking. So Heavenly Father, right now I pray a grace on my life and I pray a grace on anybody else's life who heard this message today and is very angry. I pray that you would give us the grace to be able to sit down and talk, to share our feelings, to listen carefully to each other, and to get closer to the truth that you hold, that you're offering to all of us. May our conversations get us closer to the truth than any one sermon can. But I pray that Salem would lead the way and showing how to talk and not argue. Showing how to talk and not body slam each other. Showing how to talk and not dehumanize. Or not have the threat of no longer being in a relationship with each other. If you can sit across from Judas, I'm sure somebody out there can sit across from me. I want to pray if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. My, my Christianity's been infiltrated by things that seem good, but I'm realizing now they've made me judgmental. They've made me a toxic overthinker. They've made me constantly worried that I'm making mistakes or that I'm not living up or that the people around me aren't living up, that my enjoyment of other people is rooted in their behavior and not in my love for them. If you're here and you're saying, my whole life I've lived with this, with this Christianity that was handed to me, and now I'm realizing it may have done more harm than good. I want you to know right now that God will work all things together for good through the counsel of his will. And that when God gives you a new mind... It works backwards and forwards at the same time. And he will give you ways. The past isn't over. He will give you ways and paths to to reach back there and heal what needs to be healed. He will. He will do that. And so, God, I pray for those people that they wouldn't feel like they're giving up their whole entire life of Christianity and starting over again. I pray that they would realize it is an adjustment. And I pray that the people in their life would have grace for them and that they would have grace for the people in their life and new flowers and a new garden would grow as you weed the garden. And if you listen today and you're saying, I haven't had a relationship with Jesus before, but I want to be in a relationship with the God who has constantly been assuring me that I'm valuable to him, that he's praying for me, And that he's going to raise me up on the last day. Holy Spirit, I pray for those people. That they would come to know you right now. And that they would come to know that you've always been there. That there's never been a moment where they didn't have you. They're just realizing right now they've always had you. I pray that they would know that. That they would be set on fire by your love. And that they would bring blessing to the community of faith. 
anybody I just listed, if you need prayer, if you need to talk, if you need to discuss, you can call, go to our church website right now, www.salemtabernacle.com. All of our information is there, our website, our phone number. You can reach out to the people who are chatting right now. They'll give you the information you need. You can call the church. You can email the church. We can get you in touch with deacons, elders. You can meet with me. You can meet with my wife. We need to talk this year. We need to have conversations this year. We need to work stuff out together. Fear and trembling, our salvation. And so Salem, I thank you. I pray a blessing on your week. Next week, we're going to get to all of our housekeeping stuff and we're getting to first fruits. We're talking about that in a moment. Salem, I love you so much. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful week. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.